countdown here, Arlen, and then I'll, I'll just start, and um, and then I'll uh, I'll introduce you, and then you chime in. Good morning, Dr. Badia here, Alejandro Badia, for the bi-weekly episode of Fixing Healthcare from the Trenches, where we're trying to bring ideas and, and uh, thought leaders in terms of really transforming and, and reforming healthcare in the U.S. to make it more cost-effective, efficient, and, and, and certainly uh, uh, pleasant for everyone. And uh, that, is, that is a tall order, and I'm really honored to have Somebody I've gotten to know uh, remotely over the last few years. Um, our guest this week is Dr. Arlen Myers, who is a, uh, well, he wears many hats, but most importantly, I think for what's relevant here is that he is the founder um, and, and current uh, CEO of the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. So that would be SOAP, S-O-P-E. And that uh, is self-explanatory where that's how I got involved is that for physicians who feel that we can improve the healthcare system by new ideas, by by uh, entrepreneurship, and he uh, serves as really almost an incubator for that and uh, and, and a source of knowledge. Uh, his uh, education is extensive. He did his undergraduate work at Dickinson College, uh, then went to Jefferson Med in Philly, and uh, stayed there to do uh, otorerinolaryngology laryngology (ENT) surgery at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, then went out to Colorado. I, we'll want to hear that story where he did get his MBA. Uh, that's a, a source of controversy still for doctors, whether we should get an MBA. And I, I'm kind of a proponent of that. Uh, but he is a professor uh, emeritus um, at the University of Colorado. He's also a professor in engineering, otolaryngology. Um, he has a lecturer at, uh, at Harvard, uh, Kansas, Alabama, uh, a Fulbright fellow. So we'll, without further ado, we would like to introduce Dr. Arlen Myers. Thanks for coming, Arlen. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. So I, I know that one of your areas of interest, and in you you did edit a, a, a textbook on sure. digital health. So t tell tell uh, our, our listeners what your thoughts are as to where this is going, because it's sort of a buzzword, right. but not a lot's happening in actuality. So what do you think? Well, um, digital health, uh, for those of the, your audience that don't know, because there's a lot of different definitions of it, mine basically is the use of information and communications technologies to exchange medical information. Yeah. Uh, it could be remote sensing, it could be telemedicine, there's a whole long list of stuff, but basically it's using video, other VR, whatever, to, to communicate information. Um, the other issue has to do with the definition of entrepreneurship. And unfortunately, uh, there's a million different definitions if you ask for a million people. Mine is uh, the pursuit of opportunity under volatile and certain complex and ambiguous conditions with the goal of creating user or stakeholder defined value through the deployment of innovation, using a viable business model to achieve the quintuple or the sextuple aim. Now that definition has a lot of pieces to it and there's yeah. a lot going on there. But the point that I wanna make is that 
almost most people who talk about entrepreneurship, the thing that comes to mind is create a company. And that is not what we're talking about. That is one way to satisfy the definition that I just outlined. But the vast number of physicians and other healthcare professionals are not going to go out and create a company, let alone make one that scales, let alone make one that's successful and makes a lot of money. There's a lot of different ways to do it. And I think that is the core of transforming a sick care system into a healthcare system. Yes. And, 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 well, those those definitions obviously are, are quite uh, vast. But I, my question for you is, what do you think it takes to get actual engagement? Because I think the innovation and ideas are out there. And certainly in many of the definitions of, of digital health, we're not really seeing it used on a daily sure. basis other than EMR as much sure. as we'd like. What, what do you think the barriers so are? It, the barriers are several, but it really depends on who you're talking about. So let's, because there's a lot of different stakeholders, right. investors, techies, entrepreneurs, etc. But for the purpose of this conversation, let's just talk about doctors. So why don't doctors use it? What do doctors want? What problem do they want technology to solve? And I sort of encapsulate that in an acronym that I call a quilt set, Q-W-I-L-T-S-E-T. So what does a doctor want from a shiny new object? They want to know that whatever it is you're offering will improve the quality of care and is clinically validated, not just because you say it is. That's the Q. The W is don't screw up my workflow. I do things the way I do it for a reason. And if you give me a reason not to do it that way, I'm not going to do it. That's the W. The I is what's in it for me? Why should I do this? I don't get paid to do this. And it's more heartburn. In fact, I just have a harder time seeing patients when you pile on more technology and I don't get reimbursed for it. Or if I do, it's a pittance. It's just too much work. And, and the squeeze is not worth the juice. So that's the I. The L is don't give me something that's going to get me sued. It's the legal liability of the new technology. And the, um, uh, the T is probably the one that's most important, and then it's time. I want to spend time with patients. I don't want you to lessen the amount of time that I spend with patients. Right. And oh, by the way, if you tell me that this technology is going to allow me to see more patients, that just means I have to work harder for less money. So the value proposition really doesn't trip my trigger, and I'm not going to use it. The set is the social, emotional, and technical reasons why I would use your technology. So to summarize, if you don't provide me with a quilt set, you're dead in the water. Hmm. So, so what about in terms of, and I think it's very clear, physicians are already overworked and we, and we know people are, are retiring early, uh, reimbursements aren't matching what, what, the, what the energy and time expenditure is, but even patients engaging, I'll, I'll just give you one example. You, you know that at our ortho now, uh, we have we have an app, right? So I launched this app, and my challenge is getting patients and potential referral sources to even download it. I mean, if it's a wine app, a food app, even a dating app, right. you'll download it in a second. Why right. is the public not engaging, uh, especially the younger people, on the digital health front to make right. it easier for them to access care? Because you're not providing a solution to their particular problem 
and you're making it too hard, even if they wanted to do it. Okay. I mean, just look at your phone. The average person has 20, I went to my phone, you got 20 apps, two of which you use 90% of the time. Right. And the rest of the time, they're just a pain in the neck. You got to remember the password and hacking and all that stuff. It just doesn't work. So the answer to the question and the reason why these things fail, there's two reasons why your initiative will fail. One, you don't provide a product patients want to use or buy or get somebody else to buy. And two, you don't have a viable business model. So the answer to your question is you're not doing the job the patient wants you to do. And there's no incentive for them to use it because you're not doing it. There's not enough pain. I see. So perhaps with education so that they understand why they would want to do that and a whole host of other things, because right. no, nobody's really very happy with healthcare. Would you agree, Arlen, in this country at this yeah. time, the average yeah. consumer? Right. Yeah, fundamentally. But yeah. the problem is you start with the why. But the problem is that education does not change behavior. And the same thing applies to doctors, incidentally. And in order to move from sick care to health care and that kind of transformation, to me, the holy grail is how do you get patients and people like you and me to change their behavior? We're talking about a 4.3 trillion feeding trough. Yeah. Everybody wants to keep it exactly the way it is. If not more, it's projected to double in five years. Wow. Well, uh... I mean, the, the reality is there's a lot of people with their hand in that cookie jar that aren't creating value. So how right. can Including we- Including doctors. Yeah. So, and, and the re, so that gets to the issue of, well, why? Well, and I like to say that it's cruel and unusual punishment to expect doctors during their medical education and training to get paid for value and not teach them how to create it. Okay. So why would you expect it to be any different? We're going to pay you for value-based care. You have no clue what value looks like. <laughs> right. And you have no clue how to create it. That just doesn't make sense. Absolutely. So well, okay, so we, we one of the things we do on, on this on this on this short but succinct uh, podcast is get get now after what you just said, get so pick three initiatives that right. you think could transform healthcare delivery, that things right. that we can work on, what would you say those are? All right, so what would I say is, you know, uh, <clears throat> it used to be organic chemistry is a doctor killer. You and I both know that. You know, you don't, if you don't pass organic chemistry, you don't get to be what That's you right. So, so I'm gonna give you an organic formula. So I think the things that we need to do, I encapsulate as C1, P2, T2. It's sort of like C2, H2O kind of thing. Right, right. Okay. So what the C1, P2, T2 means, the C is for culture. We have to change the mindset and the culture of medicine from one of conformity to one of creativity. That's number, that's one. The P is, and there's two of them, people and process. You have to get the right people on the bus. You have to get them to change their behavior and you have to reconfigure the processes of care, which you and I both know are sometimes ridiculous. Just pick, how do you schedule an OR case? How do you do a handoff? How do you transfer somebody from inpatient to outpatient? How do you do post-acute care? The processes of care are flawed. 
So if you try to digitize them, you just wind up digitizing junk. It's junk in, junk out. So you have to do people and you have to do process. And the third, the T2 is technology. And frankly, I think there's too much technology getting in the way. It's not accomplishing anything and it's just costing more money. There is no, there, there is no Moore's law in sick care. It doesn't replace the lower value, you know, the higher value thing. It just adds to it. So every time there's a new shiny new object, we wind up paying more money for it, which is part of the reason that U.S. healthcare spends increases five to six percent a year in the foreseeable future. We're just not smart about cost-effective technologies like some other countries are. If it's safe and effective, you're good to go. And oh, by the way, we're going to recall it in six months because it's going to make your heart stop. And the final one is what I call a triple transformation. And that means we have to change how individuals think. I've already referred to that, particularly patients and doctors. We have to change how organizations think, particularly hyper-consolidated medicine. And we have to change the systems that drive or impair innovation. Rules have to change in Washington. The main ones have to do with coverage, insurance, reimbursement, intellectual property, regulatory affairs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this, this, is a very, this is a wicked problem. There's no single bullet. And, and, when it's, and a wicked problem means it's a multi-systems engineering problem. If you squeeze on a balloon in one place, it's just going to pop out somewhere else and cause lots of trouble. And the basic example is social determinants of health. And because we have such an anemic social support system in the United States, guess what? People who work in safety net hospitals like you and I have and do, we're the ones that have to pick up the slack because the failed safety nets result in patients showing up on the door, getting treated, being discharged to a homeless shelter or no shelter at all, and readmitted tw- you know, two months later or six days later. Right. It just that, so it, you, you just can't fix one part. You have to fix multiple parts. So we, we basically have to almost turn the, the current system on its head and, and it's starting you. I mean, it, it almost sounds that way from. Well, well we, we do, but you and I both know that's not going to happen, particularly because of the political environment, the present state. I would also, so, but does that mean we just throw up our hands and give up and well, say, we're not going to do it anymore? Yeah. Well, of course. That was my next question. Yeah. That's why you and I are doing what we're doing. You just right. got to pick a spot where you think you can make some incremental difference and hope that over time things change. And actually they do. I mean, history demonstrates that, but you can't try to boil the ocean. Just pick your spot where you think you can do some good. Very good. Well, that's that's very sage advice. I mean, that's that's what I've been trying to do, as you know, in the musculoskeletal realm with direct access. Right. Uh, but it's been a challenge. There's so many players out there with their own interests, and uh, we're just not rowing the boat together. Yeah. So I will, I will, so I'll give you my three, yeah. which, is, which are uh, so one thing that I believe is right clinician at the right time, meaning I think that you can save a lot of healthcare costs. This whole concept that we was shoved down our throat of the gatekeeper. I think there's too much to know in medicine to have a hapless, you know, primary care doctor try to try to, to know everything. It's impossible. So I think if patients can be steered, and obviously 
the concept of sick care versus health care that our, our, our very valuable primary care colleagues should be focused on keeping us healthy, right? Um, and that's something. So, but when there is a specific problem, see the right clinician, right? Um, the second one is, you alluded to this a bit, um, th there's a lot of people with barriers. So I think that physicians need oversight, but, but definitely not this authorization concept where every single decision that we're trying to make to care for a patient requires some silly number by some bureaucrat sitting somewhere. And that's, that's increasing costs. And, and the last one is just public education, which is a, the reason for this podcast, the reason that many people and, and myself have written a book about healthcare is to try to bring this to the public. The question is, Arlen, is, you know, how many people are going to listen to this discussion, which is, you know, only about 17 minutes long and are going to think about it and come up with solutions. And I think once the public cares about it, like they did with, you know, racial uh, disparity or save the whales or all these social issues, I think when the public finally says we need to fix this, um, then, then, then hopefully we'll get somewhere. Yeah. Well, call me cynical, but in terms of behavior <laughs> modification, generally 10% of people change because they want to and 90% because they have to. So you have to make it painful right. for doctors, patients, stakeholders to not play by the rules. Otherwise, they're going to feel it. It's not painful enough to not play by the rules. Well, part of the pain is going to be the access because, uh, as you know, we're going to be about 140,000 physicians short in the coming decade. And uh, many of my own colleagues are retiring early. So right. I think when, when patients realize they can't get in to right. see, you know, that, you know, their kid to see that pediatric right. urologist or right. something, because there's just not enough of them. I think that there'll be an outcry. Right. My argument, right. So my argument is we will actually, I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Call me a contrarian. But the reason people are saying we have a so-called healthcare professional shortage is because they're thinking, looking through the rearview mirror. If we continue to do things the way we're doing it, of course we're going to have a shortage. That's the opportunity. But we have to get used to that different way of doing things. And to your point, if we keep bundling stuff on primary care docs who are, are not educated, in, they're all meaning well-meaning of course but we just don't know how to we can't do that it's right. too complicated yeah. so we're just going to have to rethink the model the fundamental problem i see is the the u.s sick care system of system business model is flawed and it has to change well hopefully there's uh enough people listening here who say you know what we're gonna we're gonna roll up our sleeves and really really try to do something. And hopefully we'll, we'll get some cooperation um, at the federal level. Uh, that's the part I'm a little skeptical about, but we'll keep plugging along. Thank, thank you so much, uh, Arlen. That was uh, really tremendous. And, and, and the idea of this is just to, to generate ideas and, and to not throw our hands up in the air. So I look and forward thanks, to uh, Yeah, thanks very yeah. much for what you're doing uh, with SOAP in Miami. Uh, oh, we, really, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, we'll see everyone in two weeks. And please, if uh, you enjoyed the discussion, you know, go ahead and pass it along to to like-minded uh, people who care, because we, we've got to do something until the next visit. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye.